This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What up, Cavs Nation? I'm your host, Ethan Sands, and this is another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm joined by your favorite beat reporter, Chris Fedor, and today we have your favorite episode, Hey Chris. What up, Chris? What's going on, Ethan? Looking forward to another edition of Hey Chris. I know it's your favorite segment. You don't have to be too sny about it. <laughs> Let's get into some of these questions from the people. A lot of these don't have names attached to them, but I definitely had the best ones that I wanted to figure out what you wanted to say to. I can't wait to see how many have J.B. Bickerstaff ties to them. I kind of avoided those just because, you know, <laughs> we've talked about it already. J.B. Bickerstaff is not going nowhere unless they lose the first round of the postseason. I'm going to teach you something. I'm going to teach you something that I was taught a long time ago by one of my mentors. This is the NBA. This is sports. Never say never. Okay? You can say it's unlikely. Right. But never say never. Not in the NBA. Not with the Cavs. Not with sports. Okay, I thought we were staying on the fact that we had said earlier that we didn't think he was going to go nowhere. But there are exceptions to every rule. Right. Yeah. Like maybe that loss to the Blazers and close game against the Pistons changed everybody's mind. We'll see if they come back from their road trip, this extended road trip coming up and they're below 500 and then they remain 500 to the midway point and they just like never get over that 500 mark like we've in our own mind have penciled them in as a playoff team right but they haven't played like a playoff team so we can't just give them april may and june right there's a chance that they don't get there oh chris you have no idea what's in store for you this episode we're gonna get into it (laughs) all right let's go First question from a subtext subscriber. Could you rank the following from least to most important from the impact of inconsistency this year with the Cavs? Number one, the playoff loss to the Knicks last year. Number two, Godwin Mitchell's uncertain future. Number three, incorporating Struess and Yang. Number four, youth. Oh, I think they missed the number one thing that's been problematic for this team. Injuries. Yeah. It's why it's hard to really get a gauge of who they are and what they can be. They just haven't been together. They have not had what they thought was going to be their full rotation in any game this year. Their expected starting lineup of Darius Donovan, Max Struess, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen has played 10 games together at this point, I believe. They've used eight different starting lineups 
So it's like, it comes across as an excuse and it doesn't excuse the way that they've played and they've been inconsistent and they've been one of the disappointments in the NBA because they were the four seed last year. They won 51 games last year. And right now they're outside the top six in the Eastern Conference. So like all of those things can be true at the same time while understanding that it's hard for this team to get any kind of footing, any kind of traction, because they just haven't been together enough. So I think it's okay to have a little bit of patience when it comes to final judgment or sweeping declarations until we get to see what it was supposed to look like. If you're Kobe Altman, if you're Mike Gansey, if you're in the front office of the Cavs, how do you evaluate honestly what you've seen in the first 20 games knowing that you just haven't gotten to see the team that you constructed this offseason? Is there any chance you can rank them or are we just going to move on? <laughs> I mean, that's number one, even though that wasn't an option. Right, right, right. So give five instead of just four. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm adding that as an option. I guess like incorporating the new guys would probably be second. It's a different style that they're trying to play on offense. It's a different style, a little bit defensively, because the personnel has changed slightly. They're learning Max Struess. Max Struess is learning this. It's just not put a roster together, snap your fingers, and everything's going to be perfect. It just doesn't work that way in the NBA. These things take time. These things take reps. These things take practices. And when you mix in some of the guys that have been missing during those stretches, it's delaying the process of this coming together as quickly as people would want it to. So that would be number two. Your other options are playoff loss to the Knicks, Donovan, uncertain future, and youth. I don't think like youth is something that, that I've really felt was problematic for the Cavs this year. I mean, there are times where Darius Garland looks a little bit immature out on the court in terms of his game because he doesn't have as much game experience as some of these other point guards that he's going against. And he's got a flamboyant style that leads to turnovers and things along those lines. But, but I just don't know that youth is something that stands in the way of their progress or can prevent them from reaching their goals this year. Last year, it was different, right? Guys were going through things for the very first time. They were playing meaningful games in March and April for the first time. And there were a lot of firsts that they were encountering as a group and as individuals. But they got that experience last year. They tasted the playoffs. So I don't really know that youth comes into play. The Donovan thing, I don't think there are too many guys that are thinking about it. Obviously, there's more pressure on the team to win because of that. The clock is ticking a different kind of way. The front office has to be really, really cognizant of every decision that they make and how that impacts Donovan and their chances of keeping Donovan long-term. But I don't think the players are bothered by it. I don't think it's affecting them on the court at all. I don't know that there's a hangover from New York either. They got bullied in that series against New York. They saw some of the things that went wrong for them in that series, and they tried to address those things with different personnel. I think that's what a lot of teams would have done in that situation. So I don't think there's really some kind of hangover or some kind of carryover or something like that. I honestly think that they just, number one, they aren't playing well. They've slipped on defense. Their offense has not been as good as they expected it to be with the personnel changes. And they're just underperforming. 
I couldn't agree more. Next question. Does JB have complete ownership of the rotational decisions, or does the front office have the power to ask for a player to get more minutes to get a better look? Do they cooperate on these types of decisions, or is it entirely JP? I think everything that this organization does is a collaborative decision. That's the way that they work. But JB is the coach. JB is the guy who is putting the rotations in place. JB is determining starters coming off the bench. I'll put it this way. If the front office had more control over the situation, Dean Wade would be playing more. Honestly, like this is a guy that they invested in. The front office made the investment in Dean Wade. They gave him a multi-year contract because they believe he can be helpful because there are numbers pointing to his impact. There are numbers showing how he makes their lineups better. So I think when fully healthy, if the front office had its druthers, I think they would want Dean playing a little bit more rather than getting yo-yoed the way that he has in the past by JB. And I just think JB is somebody who is comfortable playing a nine-man rotation, sometimes 10. That's his style. That's his comfort zone. He's going to continue to stick with that. He's going to continue to believe in that. And he's going to make those decisions that he thinks are best for this team to get to the point where everybody wants them to go. And it doesn't mean that he's going to do everything right. He certainly hasn't done everything right since being head coach of this team. He has his flaws. Chris, you are so good at this whole podcasting thing, man. I just want to say this. You keep going into the next question every time, (laughs) every podcast without fail. It's almost like I have a radio background. Oh my goodness. I'm like over here reading my next question that I got written for you. And it's crazy. I'm like, this man talking about, are we even going to get to ask this question? (laughs) But the next one we wanted to talk about was the eight-man rotation. Eight, nine, ten-man rotation. So I'm going to give my answer because you already gave yours. (laughs) I think that they should play based on scenario and not allow the mindset of only a certain number of players per game way into who gets into the game. Like, in my opinion... J.B. Biggerstaff made the right call in the Cavs game against the Pistons to sit Donovan Mitchell, who was struggling, and get other role players in the game. I think another situation where J.B. should have gone to the bench was when Darius Garland had eight turnovers against the Blazers and an embarrassing loss to a team that isn't in the same tier as the Cavs or have the same goals this season. I think in spurts, Tristan Thompson and Craig Porter Jr. have proven to be effective and efficient and at least allowing a reset for struggling players to come to the bench, collect themselves, and then go back out and get back into the rhythm. Or if the role players bring a spark and help create a run, then you keep them in. So I think it's definitely based on scenario, but I want JB to have more of an open mindset to not... He's not going to. I know he's not. It's just what I want. My Christmas wish list. Here's the thing. Like, as a coach, you have to do what you think is right. As a coach, you have to do what makes you comfortable, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) So, like, I know fans want him to play, like, 10, 11, and they'll bring up all these different examples of these different coaches who are more comfortable playing 10, 11, 12, sometimes going 13 deep, whatever the case may be. But those coaches aren't coaching the Cavs. And like those coaches have other flaws that they're stubborn about too. You know what I mean? Everybody's got flaws. 
if that's his comfort zone, he's got to continue to go with that. Then it's his responsibility to pick the right nine. Then it's his responsibility to find the right combinations and the right lineups within those nine. But if you're going to start playing 10, 11, you're going to take minutes away from other guys because you can't just play everybody. Every decision comes with some kind of drawback attached to it. Because if you're going to play Craig Porter Jr., I don't know, 10 to 12 minutes a night as the 10th guy in the rotation, then that's going to trim the minutes of Donovan Mitchell. That's going to trim the minutes of Darius Garland. And maybe that's what you want. Maybe you want to save those guys for later in the season. Maybe you want to keep them fresh. But like the team doesn't perform as well when both of those guys or one of those guys is off the court, usually. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So if you want to play Dean Wade extra minutes, then that might take away from Max Struess. Or that might take away from George Niang. So it's just a little bit harder to juggle all of these things than people make it seem like. Because, again, if you're going to play 10, 11, or something along those lines, then who are you taking out of the rotation? Or who are you taking minutes from in that kind of scenario? And I think the main negative that comes to mind is that the consistency of minutes would fluctuate. And like Karis LeVert said earlier this season, it's helped him have a smoother transition because of the consistency of coming off the bench each night rather than being in and out of the starting lineup. I think the change needs to be made necessary. And I know it's hard because you think about NBA rotations and like everybody has set minutes and like it doesn't change on a night to night basis. And it's hard. But like when you think of the Cavs play right now, it feels like you have to try different things. Like when Tristan Thompson guarded Joel Embiid in the final minutes of a game, like that wasn't planned, but Tristan was a better matchup for Joel than Evan Mobley or Jared Allen was. And that ultimately helped them secure a victory. And if the team is as team oriented as we've been led to believe all year, the mindset of next man up when players are struggling shouldn't be a total concern in an 82 game season. Like, and I understand the structure of it is difficult. But they've been preaching so much this year that people will come in and play when needed. Sure. It hasn't felt like that to me. But do you think it was JB's plan the other night against Detroit to play Sam Merrill? No. You think it was JB's plan the other night to play Tristan Thompson? No. He didn't play him in the first half. He only played him when he needed to play him, when he felt like the team needed something. Felt like it needed a little bit of energy, needed a little bit of toughness needed a little bit of extra juice on a night where they were kind of lackadaisical coming out of the halftime locker room. So I think he has shown a willingness to do that. But like this idea that Craig Porter Jr. is going to be in the every night rotation, I don't think that's realistic given this roster makeup. Yeah, neither do I. It doesn't make sense based on the structure of the rotations. And also like you have two premier guards in this league. They just need to play like it. Right. And I think same thing with Tristan Thompson, right? There are 96 minutes theoretically available at the two big men spots. And Tristan cannot play the four. So we're only talking about center minutes for Tristan Thompson. And there are 48 of those. So if Jarrett's going to get 34 of them, Evan's going to get the other 14 probably as the backup center. And if you want Tristan Thompson then that means taking away minutes from Jarrett or taking away minutes from Evan at the five. 
Do you want to do that? Some nights, yeah, it's going to make sense to go with Tristan Thompson. I completely agree. And that's part of his role, right? Part of his role is be ready when your number is called. Be a professional. Your minutes are going to fluctuate. Your playing time is not going to be consistent. You're not going to enter the game at the same time every single night, right? And you can say the same thing about Craig Porter Jr. You can say the same thing about Dean Wade. Not everybody is going to have a level of consistency. Not every player has earned a level of consistency like Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, some of those guys. So I just think it's the reality of the situation that they're in. Last one from the Texters. Martin from Cleveland wants to know, what is the word on Imani Bates and him rejoining the team? He's been absolutely torching the G League competition. Well, it just goes back to what we were talking about. Right. What's the benefit of bringing Imani to the Cavs so that he can sit on the bench? There is none. Where's he going to play? So you're going to take minutes from Karis LeVert when Karis is healthy? So you're going to take minutes from Max Struess? Is he going to take minutes from Donovan Mitchell? Is he going to take minutes from Isaac Okoro? So Imani's been really, really good for the Cleveland charge. He's been able to work through his mistakes. He's been able to get his feet wet. He's been able to learn how to function within a team concept. And I think the Cavs, this organization, is committed to Imani and trying to put him in the best situation for his development. There are times, Ethan, that he's going to be around the NBA team. And I think the Cavs see value in that. Be around these professionals, allow them to show you the way. But in terms of in-game reps, in terms of consistent minutes for his on-court development, that is not available here on this team that has playoff aspirations. He's on a two-way contract for a reason. You know what I mean? And getting him more reps at the G League level and letting him show out is going to help him not only gain confidence, but also gain rapport throughout the league. Yeah. And look, I mean, there are some times where these two-way guys come up and they're needed. You know what I mean? Maybe there's a stretch at some point this year where Karis LeVert is hurt at the same time that Dean Wade is hurt at the same time that Isaac Okoro is hurt. And the Cavs are short on the wing. And they need somebody like Imani. That's the benefit of having him on a two-way. You can call him up. You can put him on the active roster. And if the situation presents itself, you can go to him. But the number of shots that he's getting in the G League are not going to be available for him here in Cleveland. The number of minutes that he's getting in the G League, not going to be available for him with the Cavs. And I think it's good for somebody like Amani, who's very, very young, who has a lot of growing up to do, both mentally and physically. I think it's good for him that the G League exists so that he isn't in a situation where he's just sitting at the end of the bench and not getting any on-court time to develop in a meaningful, competitive game environment. All right. I got two questions for you, Chris, that are from me before we get to the break. Okay. The Cavs had had back-to-back performances that they weren't proud of against teams that are in the bottom half of the league in the Pistons and the Blazers. How do you assess these games for the Cavs, and how worried do these performances make you? Because I think that these performances need to serve as a wake-up call to everyone involved, the coaching staff, the players, and other management. And I'll get into my thoughts after you give yours. Well, I asked a bunch of the players in the locker room in Detroit. I said, look, you've all classified this win against Detroit as ugly. Do you need prettier wins to feel better about yourselves, to feel like you guys are playing the right way, 
and you are making up ground and you are taking the steps as an organization that you want to take. And they all looked at me and they kind of thought about it for a little bit. And they're like, hey, a win's a win. And I think at this point in time, Ethan, where they're just trying to stay together, I think it's just about winning as many games as possible. The how and the why, it is always going to matter when evaluating a team. Why they lost against Portland. They just took their foot off the throat. They didn't take them seriously. They lost focus. They thought they had the game won, and they got burned by it. The how and the why of Detroit, they came out with no energy early on in the game. They also didn't have a bunch of energy at the beginning of the third quarter. Donovan Mitchell was terrible. Darius Garland was terrible. Like, there are certain reasons why a team is going to lose, and they're probably going to be different on Monday versus Wednesday versus Friday versus Sunday. So the how and the why is always going to be important when putting things in perspective and evaluating things. But this team really needs to gain some positive momentum here. They really need some wins. And I think the phrase that I've used a number of different times because I'm a golfer, it's about making a score. There are no pictures on a scorecard at this point in time, given all the things that they're trying to work through. The Cavs have preached all season about getting to the playoffs and past the first round. We even said it in the podcast last week that we have them in the top five of the Eastern Conference to end the season. The team that I've seen the last two games is a playing team at best and has little to no chance of making it out of the first round, which would lead the Cavs to make changes that we've talked about all season long. With all that being said, they were without Karis LeVert and Dean Wade. And as you mentioned, Donovan Mitchell had trouble scoring in one of those games while Darius Garland couldn't hold on to the ball to save his life in the other game. They have a couple of days off before their matchup against the Magic on Wednesday. How important is the period of rest for the Cavs to recollect themselves? So going back to what you said, I think there's also this. The Cavs just haven't banked enough goodwill. They haven't earned the benefit of the doubt the same kind of way. For example... If Boston has one of those games where they just lose to Portland randomly or a team like that, you're like, they'll be fine. They've shown me enough. They're going to turn it around. That's just a blip, right? Or if a team like Denver has one of those kinds of games, or maybe a team like the Phoenix Suns has one of those kinds of games. But it's different for the Cavs, I think, because they just haven't played well enough for you to give them the benefit of the doubt and just assume that things are going to get better. So that's a big difference, I think. And if they were playing better at the beginning of the year and you didn't have as many questions about does this work, does this not work, then I think it would be different when they just lose a random game against Portland or when they don't play their best and they have to escape against the Detroit Pistons. What was the question? How important is the rest that they're going to get between now and Wednesday for them to recollect themselves? I don't know that it's as much rest. I, I think they need to rep some things out in practice and continue to work on things offensively and defensively. That, to me, it's probably good for them to regather themselves, refocus, try and figure out what matters. But I, I think it's also important for them to get on the practice court and work through some of the clear issues that they have shown in the first 20 games of the season. Because this is a brutal stretch. I mean, they didn't make the in-season tournament, and the two teams that they filled the schedule with are 
Miami, which same record as the Cavs, but we know what they're capable of. And Orlando that just went through a stretch where they had won nine of 10. They were completely rolling before losing on the second night of back-to-back against Brooklyn. And that is not going to be any kind of easy matchup like it had been in past years. And then you play Boston twice. Like The whole month of December looks ugly for the Cavs. I mean, I don't want to say make or break because I think that's a little bit too hyperbolic and drastic. But this is a really, really important stretch where I think we're going to learn about the Cavs and their direction and what this organization believes in and what it doesn't or who this organization believes in and who it doesn't. And if they're truly a playoff team, because it right now it looks like both the Heat and the Magic are front runners to make it into a playoff. So we both agree that Orlando's not going anywhere, right? Right. I don't think they're going to finish two in the Eastern Conference, but I also don't think they're just going to plummet completely. I think they could be this year's Cavs. Stylistically, they're very much like that. It's a defense first team that struggles to shoot the ball from the perimeter, struggles on offense every now and then, but they play their asses off. And in 82 games, just on a random Monday night, you don't want to play against that team. It's just exhausting. So Boston's not going anywhere. Milwaukee's not going anywhere. Philly's not going anywhere. The Knicks are probably going to rise here shortly because they've had a brutal schedule at the beginning of the year. So, I mean, the East is probably better than a lot of people thought. And it's going to take the Cavs either jumping in front of Orlando if they fall or Indiana not being able to keep up its pace. Or maybe the Cavs have to get in through the play-in tournament, which would be a disaster because the play-in tournament is not guaranteed of playoffs. And they're not a team like Miami where they've been there, done that, and they can just flip the proverbial switch. Obviously, we're going to keep covering this as it progresses and keep you updated on how the Cavs are doing. But we're going to take a quick break. But don't go too far, because when we come back, we're going to talk about one of your favorite Cavs players getting involved in the Cleveland community. To become a Cavs insider and interact with myself and Chris, subscribe to Subtext. Sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word STOP. It's easy, but we can tell you that the people who sign up stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs for myself and Chris. This isn't just our podcast, it's your podcast. And the only way to have your voices heard is through subtext. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Saks.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the... Must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. 
All right, Chris. At an event at Dick's Sporting Goods in Legacy Village last week, Donovan Mitchell celebrated the release of his newest Adidas signature shoe, Don Issue 5, by surprising a group of local kids and guiding them through a day in the life of a professional athlete. Chris, you attended the event. How meaningful is it for someone like Donovan to get involved in the community? Yeah, this is what Donovan has done since coming to Cleveland. Off the court, he's been as committed to the city as somebody who is going to stick around here long term. And that's not to say that he is going to stick around long term, but that's how he has acted. That's how he has adopted this community. And he wants to do these kinds of things where he's giving back. Obviously, it benefits him. It gets a lot of these high school kids, a lot of these middle school kids wearing Donovan shoes. It brings attention to his shoe. But he has been somebody who has supported the community and and just seeing the way that these kids responded when they saw Donovan, when Donovan was asking them questions, when Donovan was giving them advice on what it took to be a professional athlete and how they could improve their games, how they could improve their mentality and all that kind of stuff. It was awesome to see. And I love being able to bring attention to these kinds of things. I love being able to cover these kinds of events. I have talked to a number of the guys in the locker room and told them that I want to support them in those kind of ventures. And I want to create those kinds of positive headlines for them because I do think it's important because we cover basketball, right? And wins and losses matter and it can be really, really emotional, but these are human beings. They have things that they love to do off the court. They have different kinds of programs that matter to them a great deal. And I think seeing them do these kinds of things on off days is is always really, really cool to me. All right, be real. What did you think of the Black Widow colorways? I like it. I mean, it's very Donovan, right? Yeah. Louisville colored, Black Widow, nicknamed Spida. And Donovan, from what I was told by somebody I was talking to with Adidas, had a big role in creating the colorway, had a big role in every single shoe that he has put out. He likes to be involved in that design process. He's obviously not creating the shoe, but he's giving feedback and he's along every step of the way. So I liked it. I thought it was cool. I don't have a single pair of Adidas shoes at this point (laughs) in my life. And it was really, really weird because, you know, one of the things that they said was, hey, you're attending an Adidas event, try not to wear competitive gear. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm all Nike. (laughs) (laughs) So I had to find like, this one pair of shoes that I had, I think they were Travis Matthew or something along those lines, a dressier pair of shoes. Like it's a combination of dressy shoes and casual shoes because all of my sneakers are Nike. It's just worked that way that I like their design and I like their look a little bit more. Chris, you did it again. <laughs> what do you mean I did it again? You're supposed to play a game after this about... Which company you gonna want? You would want to represent yourself like how NBA oh, God. my career does it. Now I already know your answer. You spoiled it. <laughs> What's your answer? My answer is it would be between Adidas and Nike. I mean, I grew up with my parents listening to people like Run DMC, so I I got my Adidas in the back of my head like. <laughs> I mean, having your own soundtrack, own own killer song for a brand is always nice. 
and I've been wearing Nike all my life. I went to baseball events, and they would just hand you Nike gear, like, and I definitely pull a Kobe and start with Adidas and then switch to Nike over time <laughs> if given the option, but I'd have to go with Nike because I think I embody the just do it mindset, like, even when you don't want to do something or if it's hard or whatever, the just the discipline to just get the job done is something that really resonates with me. So I would have to go Nike. So I, I guess we agree on something today. <laughs> You're going deep. I'm all about the look of the shoes and how they feel on my feet. And I'm yeah. a big sneakerhead. I have so many pairs of shoes. My wife hates how many pairs of shoes I have. I peep. You you definitely be wearing them. I, I got five pairs of shoes, dog. And everybody's like, Ethan, you got nice shoes, but they all beat. I'm like, yeah, because I don't got shoe money. <laughs> <laughs> I've got like 25 pairs of shoes. And that's how I keep them from getting worn out. That's how I keep them clean. And I want to make sure that they match my outfit and stuff like that. And I just love the look of Air Force Ones. So yeah. I have a pair of those. Yep. I grew up wanting a pair of Jordan 11 Concords, and I could not afford them as a kid. So as soon as I got a career established, I made sure that I bought myself my own pair of Jordan 11 Concords, and I love Jordan 1s. So it's really just about the look for me. And as long as Nike and Jordan are going to collab and they're going to keep turning out Jordan 1s, I'm going to keep buying those. <laughs> I'm going to keep sticking with Nike. That's the other reason I think I couldn't like do the whole Jordan brand thing. It's like you with a brand that's literally another person's like legacy. I'm not somebody that likes to be in nobody's shadow. Like I like to set my own little pace. And you don't play. It's not like you're LeBron or somebody. No, like that. I'm not LeBron or nothing. But like you know what I'm saying. Like you maybe that's just in my head. But yeah, anyway, it might be in it. Yeah, maybe overthinking it a little bit. But <laughs> anyway. Donovan has been with Adidas for a few years now, but his right-hand man in Darius Garland just signed with New Balance. Did you get any insight on Darius's decision to go to the New Balance route? He got money. Hey. <laughs> right? Yeah. Somebody's going to offer you money to wear their shoe. You're going to be like, yep, I'll do it. Darius had been wearing Nikes his entire career, and I actually saw him at Media Day, and he had a pair of New Balance shoes on. And I looked at him and we just shot each other a look. And he kind of like did a no thing to me, like put his <laughs> hand by his neck. And he was like, no, 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 no. Apparently he didn't want it out there. Like at that point in time or something like that, I didn't know exactly what that meant. And every time throughout the course of this year, early on in the season, when I tried to have a conversation with Darius about it, about the why, what went into the decision, when it happened, how long the contract was for, he would give me the cold shoulder. And Darius and I are very close. We have had great interactions during my time covering him. He has sit down with me on multiple occasions for one-on-ones and stuff like that. It just seemed like it was something that New Balance was holding until the right time. And they obviously dropped the news of it the other day. But he's been wearing New Balance all year long. And it's about money. So that's why you the man on the beat, Chris, because I know nobody else in that newsroom or anybody in the press room noticed that he was wearing a different pair of shoes. I looked down the other day after he signed the contract and was like, yeah, rocking New Balances. That makes sense. After media day, I noticed it again because of the sandals that he was wearing in the locker room. And those were New Balance. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. This has been a fun episode. That'll wrap up today's show of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. But remember to become a Cavs insider and interact with Chris and myself by subscribing to Subtext. Maybe we can give you the inside scoop on who's signing with who next. Sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word STOP. It's easy, but we can tell you that the people who sign up stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs from myself and Chris. This isn't just our podcast, it's your podcast. And the only way to have your voice heard is through subtext. Y'all be safe now. We out.